You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. As I'm sure you know that you've been watching the news and your heart's probably been broken like my heart has to see uh, war in Eastern Europe, uh, to see things taking place in the Ukraine. Um, As you might have noticed, Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia was so bold to even... uh, begin the preliminaries of that while they were still at the Olympics. They were uh, planning to do that and uh, shortly thereafter invaded the Ukraine. So I just want to talk a little bit this morning about what we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, from those in the church, from those also uh, in the country as well. Um, Since the fighting began, over 2,000 civilians have died. And 6,000, surprisingly, 6,000 Russian soldiers have died in the conflict already. Thousands of Ukrainians have left the country and have fled to neighboring countries like Poland, Hungary, Moldova, creating a huge refugee and humanitarian crisis in those countries. If you can show the next slide, if you please. Um, And so, as you can see here, um, over 1.5 million Ukrainians have left their country because of the fighting in the war. And even now, as civilians are trying to get out, um, the Russian government is not allowing them to do so. They have not ceased uh, their fighting or their shelling to be able to help people get out. And so if you can pray about anything, pray about that too, that they're able to get civilians out because there's those who want to fight, but then there's also those who want to get out and get out safely. Most... uh, refugees, most of the people that are leaving the country don't want to leave the country. They would rather stay in their country. And it should help us change the way that we think about refugees, too. Oftentimes when we watch the news or we hear certain political pundits talk about it, that refugees are just coming here to steal your jobs. And they're not. They're just looking for a safe place to be. They're looking to escape war or persecution. Some of them are Christians. Some of them are not. But I would encourage you as believers and as Christians to show compassion towards those who are refugees. I want to show you another slide. We can go to the next one here, if you please. Um, Are we on a video? I can't remember. Okay. Um, Let's show a little bit of the fighting here, too, there. A little video from our friends at Serve Now. Um, We're sharing with us uh, exactly what's happening now. You know, when you're not in the middle of conflict, you don't actually know what's going on. You can only hear about it. But this is video that was taken by one of the people that is serving and volunteering with Serve Now. And this is a little bit of what warfare looks like right now. So go ahead and play that. This is just a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood that's been attacked near where they are. Devastation all around them. Uh, as a result of just the shelling itself. You can hear it in the background. You can see some of the burnt out tanks, vehicles, and homes. So that's just kind of a little bit of a picture of what we're seeing. I believe the next slide shows, um, shows where uh, people are going right now to try and avoid this. And if we can bring that up. I've got Dan doing double duty today. So if you can bring up the next slide. These are people sleeping in the subways right now. 
because at least with the concrete subway system, it serves as kind of a makeshift bunker for those who are trying to escape the bombings. People sleeping there as a mother with her child on the right, my, my right, your left there. Um, and so we're seeing real devastation here. Uh, photos and videos from the country show that many neighborhoods and cities have been destroyed by missile attacks. Uh, there's a Russian convoy that's about 40 miles long that's been making its way towards the capital. Um, this morning, a news agency reported that Russia has hired 1,000 mercenaries to go into the country to aid in the fighting. And the reason why mercenaries are kind of dangerous is because they're not held accountable by any particular military force. So if, you know, the Russian army commits atrocities, there's war crimes that they can be put on trial for and tried for. But a mercenary has no allegiance. They have no way to trace or track them. And they're going into the country to aid in the fighting. And they don't usually follow the Geneva Convention rules about warfare. Uh, one city has already fallen under Russian control. And there have been reports that Russia is uh, bombarding a, a nearby Ukrainian nuclear power plant. Um, and so it's a dangerous situation. And people might have asked, well, why haven't the U.S. and other countries in the West done more to help the Ukraine militarily? And there's a couple of reasons for this. First of all, uh, Ukraine is not a member of the EU or a member of NATO, nor are they direct allies to any Western countries. So, for example, when a Western ally is attacked by another country, those who are allies of that country come to aid it with military force. But because Ukraine is not an ally, many countries have been hesitant to help. Uh, another reason is that Vladimir Putin has a massive nuclear arsenal and has threatened retaliation for anyone who interferes with their operation in Ukraine. So there is a, a fear of starting World War III. This is something that we haven't seen. This is a, a military campaign in Europe, the likes we haven't seen since World War II. And this is a, uh, a fear of, uh, you know, nuclear war that we haven't seen since the Cold War of the 80s. So there's a lot of tension right now. There's a lot of difficulty right now. Uh, Vladimir Putin is basically a dictator, okay? Uh, he, although he's an elected president of Russia, he has rewritten the Constitution so he can run for the position perpetually. And any rivals he has politically in the past have either ended up in prison or poisoned. So you have job security when you kind of run things that way. Make no mistake, Vladimir Putin is not a person to be admired or praised. He is a cruel dictator and former KGB agent. If he continues to remain in power, he will most likely be a player in end-time events. Now, people have kind of looked at the invasion to Ukraine, and they said, okay, well, what is going on in Ukraine? Is this the end times unfolding before us? And uh, because they look at Gog and Magog, and many biblical scholars believe that the Gog and Magog of Scripture is modern-day Russia. The uh, ancient his Jewish historian Josephus identified Gog and Magog as the region of Turkey, or the south-central part of modern-day Russia. Now, Gog and Magog are listed in the list of nations that came from Noah's son Japheth. That's found in Genesis 10-2. And the prophet Ezekiel spoke of it attacking Israel and Jerusalem in Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle uh, referred to Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20 as attacking the new city, the city of New Jerusalem. Now, there are some things that you'll see on YouTube, and everyone today with a camera and an opinion is a Bible scholar all of a sudden, you'll notice. Anyone who has a TikTok channel, Facebook page, you know, one of the great things about uh, that came out of the pandemic of 2020 is that more church services were online. But uh, an unexpected side note to that uh, and kind of a detrimental effect is that now anybody who has a camera and a microphone can be a Bible teacher. So there's people that are going around saying, you know, you know this is Ezekiel 38 and 39 being played out before us. This is... Uh, some people have even misinterpreted uh, Rosh Hashanah to mean Russia. And people just with no knowledge of the Hebrew language, no understanding of Scripture. And the thing that I would point out to you, if you hear people talking like this, is that when it comes to end-time Bible prophecy, timing is everything. So according to Revelation 20, the Apostle John says that this is going to happen after Christ returns, after his 1,000-year millennial reign, and then Satan will you know, raise up an army to attack the heavenly city of Jerusalem. So when it comes to timing, we're not there. Jesus has not come back, thank God, because we're still here. If we're still here and he came back, that'd be bad, all right? So thanks God he hasn't come back yet, but he is coming back, and we should look forward to that. We should... Uh, earnestly desire that, and it should motivate us in our sharing Christ with other people that we realize that time is short and his return is coming soon. So we understand that, biblically speaking, Gog and Magog attacking Israel is a after the millennial reign, and this is not that. So uh, is this a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and, and Revelation 20? Probably not. But it could set the stage for Russia to be a major player in that prophecy later down the road. Um, it's a time, you know, when we think about these things, uh, these are things that could be coming in the not-too-distant future. But Jesus told uh, his disciples that unrest and conflict in the world would be a sign of his coming. And this is not an end times teaching today. It's more of a just kind of a, a perspective on things. But Jesus said these words to his disciples, uh, prior to him being taken up into heaven. And so in Matthew 24, 6 through 8, Jesus says these words to his disciples because his disciples asked, you know, what are the signs of the ends of the age? What are the signs of your coming? And keep in mind, they were asking this at the time of the Roman Empire. They were asking this 2,000 years ago. There's no nuclear weapons. There's no Russia. There's no Ukraine. And they're asking, well, we know that, you, that the, 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 you know, the day of judgment is coming soon, so when is that going to be, and what would be the signs of your return? And Jesus says, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. And notice what he says, see that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, remember, okay, context says Jesus is being asked, when are there going to be the signs of your return? And he says, okay, these are going to be signs of my return, but... The end is not yet. And, and don't let yourself be alarmed or disturbed by these things. Verse 7 says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines 
and pestilences. Oh, pestilences, we know about those. And earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginnings of sorrow. And then he talks about what will happen to the disciples and those who follow Christ. And he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many who love the Lord will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. So there's some advice there that Jesus gives his disciples when they see stuff like this. And that these signs are meant to be like the birth pains that take place before childbirth. They're meant to let us know that the end is coming so that we can be ready for Jesus' return. This is not so we can run and hide or shift our investments or buy gold and silver or hide in the basement or buy canned goods. But it's there so that we can be ready and motivated to be doing God's work before the end comes. Jesus is, is, is saying that, you know, in, in another place in the Gospels, that we should work while it's still day because night is coming when no one can work. So it, these things are not a sign for us to kind of pull back and to go into hiding, but to be about the Lord's work and to accelerate any work that we need to do for the kingdom before Jesus returns. There's still much to do before the Lord and there's still much to do both here and in the Ukraine. Uh, the news that we see in, in the Ukraine is heartbreaking, but we are seeing some positive things. Um, the president of Ukraine is actually a former stand-up comedian. Alex Zelensky has shown incredible courage in the face of insurmountable odds. Uh, when people said to him, you know, you know, Russia's invading, you need to get out of here, and some of his allies are saying you need to leave, and he responded this way, I'm not leaving. I don't need a ride. I just need a gun. So he's showing tremendous courage. And I think the Ukrainian people are encouraged by him being there and not abandoning them. Miraculously, he has survived three assassination attempts on his life, escaping injury. Many Ukrainians in other parts of the world, including celebrities, have gone to Ukraine to join the fight. Stories have emerged about Russian missiles disappearing and not hitting their targets. Tanks running out of gas and Russian soldiers reluctant to fight against the Ukrainians have given up fighting. Ukraine's army, which is made up of mostly soldiers and civilian volunteers, is incredibly small compared to the size of the Russian army, and yet they've been able to successfully repel the Russian army from completely taking over, which is nothing short of a miracle. When you think about the might of the Russian army and the size of Ukraine's military, then you know that it's a miraculous situation that they've survived this long. Currently, both Russia and Ukraine are in the middle of a ceasefire talks, which actually kind of fell apart the other day. And uh, pray for that as well, that somehow they can get the civilians out. You know, we're fortunate to live in a country that is surrounded by water on two sides, and that we have allies to the north of us, even though you might not like Canadians, they are our allies. But there's no immediate threat to us within thousands of miles of us. But it made me think to myself, what if America found itself under attack? What would, what would we do if what is happening in the Ukraine happened here? Would Christians here show as much courage and sacrifice here 
as our Christian brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. I've been inspired by the selflessness of believers in the Ukraine, that our uh, friends that serve now, they're there, and they haven't abandoned the region or left the region, but they're bringing people out, have rescued 186 people so far, brought them out of the fighting to safe regions. Our friend missionary Mark Bruner uh, drove into the country from the Czech Republic to help evacuate people and bring supplies to them. And it challenges me to think about how would I respond to the fighting? How would I respond and what would I do to keep my family safe? And would I have the courage to help like so many others are doing? I would like to think that I would do that after my family was safe. But you know, trials and tribulations test the boundaries of your devotion and faith in God. Ask yourself the question, could you trust the Lord in the middle of the persecution and the war that the Ukrainians are facing right now? It's a challenging thought because a lot of our our nature is that we want to preserve ourselves, preserve our family, and and to try to get away from things. But I'm encouraged by those who have shown such incredible courage uh, inspired by them that, that my life and my ministry would show the same kind of care and devotion even in the face of danger. Scriptures tell us that the suffering of fellow believers should not surprise us, as Jesus talked about. And it shouldn't make us think that God's abandoned them or somehow judging them, but rather it should inspire us to keep going and to pray. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 says this. Let's take a look at that together. It says, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What is it saying there? It's saying that there are other Christians in other parts of the world that are experiencing and going through what you've gone through. Verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be all the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, the Apostle Peter wrote this to Jewish Christians who had been exiled from their homeland. So the people he's writing are people that once were in their country and because of persecution were displaced. Um, you have, all you have to do is read uh, Acts chapter 5 through 8 and you see that the church in Jerusalem experienced persecution and people who were in those regions fled and they moved north. And in some cases, persecution was so great that they fled to neighboring and, and, re, and regions that were nearby that would accept them and receive them. Kind of like the refugees that we see today in the world that we live in. And he advises them and he says, you know, he gives them some advice. He says, listen, uh, in, earlier in this chapter, he encourages them to be humble to be accountable to each other and listen to their spiritual leaders. He advises them to be sober and vigilant. In other words, be clear-minded with sound judgment and not give in to the tests and temptations the devil will throw at you. You know, he's referred to the devil as a roaring lion. A roaring lion wants to destroy their faith and cause them to renounce what they believe. That is why holding to their confession of faith is so important. So the devil goes about like a roaring lion. He's seeking to destroy your faith. Seeking to destroy your trust and your belief 
in God. Now, you and I may never experience bombings or invasions or war, but there are things that war against our mind and our will and our faith every day. It can range from discouragement to temptation uh, to uh, persecution in different forms. Uh, There are different things that come against us and that are threatening to undo us or to destroy us. But this was true just as true in the age of the apostles and the age of the early church as it is today. Nothing has changed. The devil's strategy is to motivate kings and dictators and armies to try and destroy God's people. That hasn't changed in thousands of years, whether you're looking at the parting of the Red Sea or whether you're talking about the, 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 the wars of the kings of Israel against invading armies, or whether you're talking about the persecution of Rome in the early church, or whether you're talking about Russia invading Ukraine, nothing's changed. The devil is still trying to destroy God's people. And you might not have a bomb that kind of lands through your living room window, but you might experience something where the enemy brings something into your life that completely Uh, blows your mind and undoes you for whatever the case might be. So we have to be sober-minded and vigilant. In other words, we need need to think clearly. We need to not be distracted. To be sober-minded brings to the idea of not being drunk with wine, not being inebriated with different kinds of drugs, not being um, inundated and distracted with news and media and our phones and our activities there are times and places for that but we've come to a place as a culture where we've allowed that to become the focal point of all of our thinking if we don't want to deal we just immerse ourselves in something else am i right if we don't want to deal we just kind of scroll 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 play 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 but does that enable us to be sober-minded and alert If you've ever tried to talk to someone who's been distracted by their device, and I've been guilty of being distracted by my device, that you know that they hear you, but they're not comprehending what's being said. They are immensely distracted, and they don't know what's going on. Whether you're driving or whether you're doing other things, if you are distracted, you don't have your mind focused on what's happening, what's coming your way, and how to react to it. I believe God wants to be sober-minded and alert, amen? That we need to be aware of what's going on in the world today, but we need to be fully engaged into what God's Word says about it. Listen, there's nothing easier than to try and just uh, distract yourself so that you don't have to think about the things that are difficult, the things going on in your family, things going on with your health, things going on in the world. It's easy to just distract yourself. But I would challenge you today to make yourself strong and sober-minded by not choosing to give in to those things, but by confronting those things head-on. We must be ready and stand firm in our faith so that anything that comes our way, we don't have to run and hide from it, but that we are clear-minded to be able to think about how we can help those who need it. Peter directs the Uh, Christians, not to become discouraged, but to look at the struggle of other Christians in other parts of the world for encouragement and inspiration. He's saying what you're going through is not all that different than what other believers in other parts of the world are going through. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because they're going through it and they're holding on to their faith. Now, it makes you wonder to yourself, how can these people 
run into areas where there is uh, fighting and warfare and fires and, you know, the possibility of being captured or killed or there's explosions going off and you say, well, how can they do that? And the reason is because the, the believer's perspective, a Christian's perspective, that they understand that if they lose their lives for God, their suffering is temporary, but their glory is eternal. We forget that sometimes. As though this is the only thing that's worth living for in this life. Our families, our houses, our wealth, whatever the case might be. We think that these are the only things that are worth it in life. Forgetting completely that we can't take any of this with us. And that we should focus on our eternal home. So those who are volunteering and working in war-torn areas of the world, those who are meeting underground in underground churches, you ask yourself, well, why would they risk that? Why don't they just leave? Why don't they just give up? It's because they know that it doesn't matter what happens to them in this life, that they have an eternal reward and an eternal glory. They can take their lives, but they will live forever in eternity. This is why we must focus on our families as well in reaching them for Christ because even though death is a scary thing, there is hope beyond the grave for those who are in Christ. This is why the believers can be so selfless in their service to God and others because they know even if they die, they will live with God forever. The church and the people of Ukraine have been an inspiration to us in the West. We could learn some things about faith and courage from them. I want you to look at these courageous responses to war. I want to show you a picture. You might have seen this picture. Just as the invasion started, some people gathered in the town square. They're not running for their lives. They're not trying to escape. They're praying. And their response to the violence, their response to the impending threat was prayer. Even in the face of massive threat, in the face of war, that they didn't stop trusting God or praying. They're praying wherever they can be. The church needs to learn that our first response should be prayer in all situations. And I know that sounds cliche, but I can't emphasize it enough because we do a lot of learning, we do a lot of study, but how often do we really pray? Often do we pray spirit-led prayers to pray for other people besides ourselves? How often are we praying for our own life and our own interests, but how often are we praying for other people? And if we were to do an honest inventory of ourselves, we would say that probably 80% of our prayer time is us. Maybe 20% is prayers for other people, if we think of it. So praying together in the face of a massive threat is so important for us. Secondly, they're still worshiping God and gathering together because worshiping God is something they know they should do. This is a, another video from Serve Now. This is a congregation. Okay, they have no uh, music. They have no sound system because of the electricity was knocked out. Um, and so they're um, worshiping God together in the middle of a warfare, in the middle of a war zone. So go ahead and play that.
the song, too. But think about that. Think of what's going on around in the world around them. And they're still saying, you know what? We still need to gather and worship. We still need to come together and encourage each other mutually in the Lord. We still need to come together and, and learn and to pray and to worship. The church needs to understand that, that what are we to do when we're seeing difficulty around us? We're still to gather together and worship because the body of Christ is meant to be one. The body of Christ is meant to come together and encourage one another and lift each other up. They're praying, they're gathering together for worship. Thirdly, they're serving and helping one another. There's another picture I want to show you. People who are, uh, these are people that have been evacuated from the fighting area. They've been brought to safety. As I mentioned, over 186 people brought to safety over the last week. And they're uh, going into these areas at risk of their own lives, and they're bringing people out and bringing them, reuniting them with their family, reuniting them with their friends, bringing them to places they could be and be safe and to be uh, happy away from the fighting. We can still serve and help one another. Even in the middle of all the things that we're going through in this world, all the difficulties, all the challenges, we are still to help others. Now, we can't go to the Ukraine and help people, but we can give. But ask yourself the question, who can we help here? Who's in need of our help? Who's in need of our assistance and our compassion? Fourthly, they're fighting courageously. They love their country, and they love their people, and they are fighting for its freedom. So what should we do? We can still pray even more so when things are bad, even more so when things are difficult. We should be praying, not just for ourselves, not for our own interests. That's part of it, but to pray for other people that are struggling. We can still worship. Let's still worship God while we still have the freedom to do so for this time that we live in. We can still help people. Whether it's good economic times or bad, we can still be seeking to give, serve, and go when the need arises. God still needs people to serve in soup kitchens and clearway clinic and homeless shelters and in their church and in their community. They still need people that are going to give and support these ministries. They still need people to go on missions trips and minister overseas, regardless of what the world's economy looks like. Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself yourself, still applies today, even in the middle of war, even in the middle of a pandemic, even with a troubled economy. Jesus didn't say that there was an out or a caveat. It says, Love your neighbor as yourself unless life is difficult, unless you're having a tough time. It was not a suggestion. Jesus' commandment, we had the great commandment and the great commission. He said, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in this, all of the law and prophets is encapsulated in these two commands. Are we still loving our neighbor? Are we still loving our community? Do we care for them like those who are in Ukraine caring for one another? When the light of the gospel is truly at work within us, it becomes all the brighter when things get darker. When the light of the gospel is at work within us, it becomes brighter when things get darker. So how can we help? Ukraine is exactly 4,500 miles away from 
What can we do to help? We can give to organizations and ministries that help in Ukraine. We can welcome refugees who need a place to go home. We can pray. I want to end this time this morning with some prayer requests that were asked for by a pastor in Worcester by the name of Brian Minich who works with churches in Ukraine. And so these are some areas that he asked for us to pray for. Pray for leaders and all those in authority that God would grant wisdom and the capacity for peacemaking and pray for a ceasefire in peace. Pray for those taking up arms that God would grant courage and self-control. Remember, we're in tense times right now where the threat of global war could happen. Pray that God would take care of the vulnerable, those with special needs, widows and orphans, and those that are uh, in various towns where the Russian troops are just outside their doors. Pray that God would pour out his spirit on his people, that God would protect his people, equip his people to serve their neighbors in this hour. He asked that, he, that you would join in him in prayer for the bishops who oversee 2,000 Pentecostal and charismatic churches in the Ukraine. Can you believe that? 2,000 Pentecostal and charismatic churches in the Ukraine. Pray that they would have spiritual wisdom and insight as they lead God's people. Pray that they would be able to provide for their needs. Pray that there would be an end to the fighting so that the civilians can get out and that those who are fighting would just be only the ones who are engaged in warfare, not civilians. He concludes it by saying, pray that the uh, kingdom of Jesus and that the will of the Father would be done in Ukraine. Let's remember what James 5.16 says, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Sometimes we pay, pray passive prayers, kind of thoughtless prayers. But what if we prayed with fervency, with passion, with a strong desire to see God do great things? Not only in your own life, but also in the parts of the world where we see trouble and, and difficulty. Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll watch the news, we'll sit, we'll weep, we'll cry, and we'll say, isn't that too bad? Our first reaction is to give, which, don't get me wrong, is a good reaction. But one of our reactions should be to pray. Say, God, would you do something? Would you break through? Lord, we know that you've uh, fought back armies of thousands and tens of thousands and that you have you know, caused enemy armies to, to retreat without reason. Lord, we know that you can do this. But are we praying as though he can? Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.